Hey guys, welcome to the View from the Front podcast. You know what? Probably need to insert some really hip, really cool music here because we don't have any really hip, really cool music on this podcast. At least not yet, maybe one day. But what we do have is news you're not going to find easily anywhere else. For those who don't know, my name is Stan R. Mitchell and I'm a prior Marine and journalist. And as a guy who's been deployed overseas and who was a big time history buff even before that, I care a lot about our military, where they're at, where they might be going, what conflicts might be about to occur, because these things matter. They matter for almost a million plus military vets out there. And so if you're a military member, a spouse of a military member, or a parent or grandparent of a military member, this is probably a great show for you to subscribe to. I'll keep you updated on foreign policy issues, but I don't do it like you'll see everywhere else. First of all, the media almost never covers the military or looming hotspots. But if they do, they overhype everything. And you guys know I'm telling you the truth. They scare you. They use lots of B-real video with explosions and flashing graphics. Their biggest desire is eyeballs and ad dollars. I promise you, and you can check the past year of archived editions, I do not overhype, exaggerate, or any of that. If anything, I almost downplay. It's a steady and calm voice that you'll find here. But on the flip side, foreign policy journals that do cover what we do as a military and as a country, they also fall short, in my opinion. Their articles are far too long, they're far too dense, and they're crammed with big words, technical mumbo-jumbo, and silly acronyms that only insiders truly know or understand. So... I couldn't find a show that met my needs, and I decided I would just create one. Once a week, I'll discuss military matters, while also adding in a little motivation, wisdom, and history. Besides covering this news, and also sharing plenty of motivation at the end of each episode, I also work as hard as I can to unite this country. Without question, I feel like our wide division and animosity toward those with whom we disagree is the greatest threat our country faces. So once a week, I do my best to bridge this great divide, while also reminding each of us that most of us are being played by divisive political and news figures who are ripping apart this great country just so they can reach a higher office or gain more followers and add dollars. Most Americans are good, and we need to remember this, always. While we face great challenges as a country, we have to remember that America has stood together for more than 240 years. And it's only by pulling our country closer together that we can pass on a better future for our kids. That is the reality. We need to hold and cherish the beliefs that got us here today. Beliefs such as patience, kindness, and a strong belief that our best days lie before us. These are the beliefs that got us to this point. And they're also the kind of optimistic beliefs that will get us to a brighter future. And with that out of the way, let's get started. Also, if you want to, insert some more really hip, really cool music in your head, because apparently that's the only way you can make a podcast work these days. This is the November 3rd edition of The View from the Front, and we're really glad to have you here. One quick announcement, um, which is kind of a big one. I've had, for weeks and weeks now, requests, and I mean like so many requests, that I create a Patreon page. If you know what Patreon is... Great. If you don't, basically, Patreon is a place that you can support 
artists, whether they're like independent music artists or poets, writers, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people already have their pay information, i.e. credit card information, already in Patreon. And so they'll sign up to support maybe their favorite local band and you pay them five bucks a month or whatever that amount is that you choose. Now, some groups will have like they'll release videos or special things or you can buy T-shirts, etc. Um, but I'm not doing any of that stuff. But I had numerous people say, look, Stan, I want to support you, but I really don't want to put my credit card info into Substack at this point. I've got enough stuff to do. But if you had a Patreon page, I'd just throw you on my list. And so after hearing that enough, I decided, you know, I'm a little thick headed, but eventually I get the point. So I created a page. So if you know what Patreon is, if you have it set up and you want to subscribe, I've got a little deal there. You can pay five bucks a month through there. And of course, all my posts are free now. But if you want to help support and sustain the, the uh, show and newsletter, that's a great way to do it. So you can find me. I've got a link in the episode notes or you can just search me and you'll see it. Um, so that's the big news. Um, so let's get to the news itself that involves the rest of the country and the world. Uh, in this edition, we'll be discussing the latest news about Saudi Arabia and what's happening with Iran. Then we'll move on to a few of these topics. I've got a ton of news about Ukraine and Russia, including the latest about grain shipments there. Uh, a surprise attack that happened on Russia's Navy, which you kind of want to hear about, trust me. Also, uh, an improvement in Ukraine's satellite communication situation. And we'll also talk about what the coming winter means and why Ukraine is better prepared for this. And then, besides these items, we'll talk just a bit about how the Russian uh, war plays into the rising tension with China. And then, this is kind of crazy, we'll cover some scary new tech news that involves a flying drone and a robotic dog armed with a machine gun. Yeah, I'm not kidding. Trust me, you want to know about this thing. So, and then as always, we'll end with our motivation and wisdom section. So thanks so much for joining me, guys. Let's just get to it. So we begin this edition talking about the latest news out of Saudi Arabia. Kind of out of nowhere, really. Uh, Saudi Arabia shared intelligence with um, American military folks and CIA folks saying that Iran could be preparing an imminent attack on the kingdom, which one of the officials said the uh, threat was credible and could happen as soon as soon or within 48 hours. The Associated Press had a story on that, and then there are tons of follow-up stories from almost every news organization out there. So this obviously came out from, like, left field. Uh, I've certainly not covered anything regarding Saudi Arabia other than their little tit for tat with us about how much oil they're going to produce and the Biden visit. But we basically haven't talked about any kind of security issue with Saudi Arabia for months, if if probably six months or more. So this came out of the blue. And but if you think about it, maybe it it's not surprising. So we've covered how in Iran they're dealing with an internal, I don't know whether to call it a We'll just say widespread uh, protest. I nearly said revolution or uh, an uprising. It's kind of both of those, but it's certainly protest, and I don't want to overstate it. But an interesting thing happened since the last edition last Thursday, which is Iran's government warned the people that they have to 
stop protesting and they have to tone it tone it down or the Iranian government is going to get really serious. Now depending on your news sources, you know, no one sh is exactly sure how many Iranians have been detained or killed. Uh numbers are somewhere usually around 100 to 200. Um could be higher. It's hard to get information out of Iran, obviously. But Iran promised to crack down. And that's kind of been the fear all along is that Iran would you know, just basically get the military and police to break out the machine guns and start dealing with the protesters. We've seen that happen in numerous countries around the world when they start to deal with serious unrest. But they make this warning, and then, unbelievably, the people responded with far higher numbers, far larger protests. And a lot of people thought they might even try to overthrow the government. Now, that still hasn't happened yet, but the unrest is just unbelievable inside Iran. So it's very tense. There has been more violence. And again, I'm not going to say what I think will happen or could happen because no one really knows. Anyone who says they know what's going to happen is is just making up stuff. I doubt even the CIA knows. And we all know the CIA has been wrong about things in the past. So really, no one knows. These things are very fluid. Momentum shifts. Um, things happen and events take place, and then people react. No one knows exactly what's going to happen, but perhaps as a large result of this, there is this recent news that Iran might attack Saudi Arabia, which, from a political perspective, is pretty brilliant. It would immediately um, help stoke up nationalism in Iran. It would remind the Iranian, the Iranian people that America's horrible and that we're the real cause of all this. And so for the those who are you know big into nationalism in Iran, it would just remind them that, hey, instead of worrying about this really difficult internal dispute about women and how they dress and these family tensions inside families, and I'm sure there's tensions inside neighborhoods, and this is probably you know people trying to figure out where they stand, we know as is happening in America with a lot of the political tension. It's very frustrating to deal with political issues when there's not easy answers and people are highly divided. So the old strong arm playbook, what Iran's trying to do here is let's bring up the evil West and let's see if we can't get people to rally behind the government because we're threatened by America and whatever plans America and Israel may have. So I think that's what they're trying to do. It's a, it's a really risky move um, if they were to do some type of attacks because I'm pretty sure we're going to counter. And, uh, you know, Iran's got a lot going on trying to deal with its internal issues right now. So I'm not sure how some attacks on their military in response would help. But at the same time, that kind of thing might rally the people to support the government, at least for now. It might buy them some time. So that's, that's a possibility. Now, if you read the news reports, some are saying that maybe Saudi Arabia is, hey, this whole OPEC deal and Biden being mad, this is bad. Lots of American politicians are saying, why in the heck are we supporting Saudi Arabia? Probably 85% or more of American um, you know, voters are against additional support to Saudi Arabia. And so maybe Saudi Arabia was like, let's just remind them that, you know, there's a reason they're helping protect all these oil supplies. There's this evil Iran there, and they need to remember who their friends are. I'm not sure if if they're pulling that. That's 
you know, it's, it's a risky political move as well. But we'll see what happens. Again, this kind of came out of the blue, but it a uh, it's on us, and we'll just see if it's just a bunch of talk. So I definitely wanted to put that out, because if it's going to happen, it's supposed to happen soon, it would probably involve missile attacks, uh, missile attacks against oil facilities. I did look up, I wanted to see how many troops we roughly had in the region. And it looks like we got about 3,000 or so in Saudi Arabia. We've got about 2,000 in the United Arab Emirates. We, I couldn't find an exact number, which is kind of a good thing. I, I shouldn't be able to find an exact number. But we've got a few thousand or more in Qatar. So definitely, um, definitely a lot of troops over there. They're all kind of spread out. And obviously Iran has launched ballistic missiles in the past against U.S. facilities. So they definitely have that capability and that would be the easiest thing for them to do. And I'm sure, I know I've seen reports, our military is already figuring out what the responses would be and they're positioning everything in a way so that should that happen, that they're ready for it and should it happen, they're ready to respond. So I'm sure that we've been shifting some things, moving some troops to alert, et cetera, et cetera. So Definitely wanted to cover all of that, but I think I've covered it pretty well. So let's just move to the next topic. So since our last edition in Ukraine, there was a pretty spectacular, um, I guess that's probably the right word, but spectacular attack against Russia's Black Sea Fleet. And it was a drone attack, meaning, you know, obviously unmanned vehicles. But they were basically these um, remotely operated small ships that were um, loaded with explosives, obviously. And at least one ship was, you know, damaged to some degree. And then there were also um, a couple of major fires that you could see on some of the social media videos that were uh, being spread around. In my source notes, I've got an article that sums up the attack on the Black Sea Fleet. Um, and there were some, apparently some potentially aerial drone attacks as well in that attack um, that caused some of those fires and the obviously defensive ships. So I've got a story there. I've also got a image of what these small little ships look like. They've got this camera on them so that an operator who's out of line of sight can control them. And you can see in some of the videos shared in the article that the ships are obviously at speed or trying to avoid these attacks. And in one of them, it's kind of an amazing video to watch and certainly worth going to the episode notes. But the small surface vessel, you are you think you're on the ship because you're just watching through video as it's careening toward a Russian ship. And the Russian ship is cutting across the camera angle from left to right. But as this ship is, or this small little surface vessel, unmanned surface vessel is what I've seen it called in one media source, as it's moving toward the ship and adjusting its route so that it can impact it, there's like water splotch, just, you know, water splashing up all around it as machine gun fire from the Russian ship is trying to take it out. And it's like this real life movie almost of like, you almost feel for the Russians trying to defend their ship. Well, they hit this thing and blow it up before it can uh, actually hit the ship. So again, there was an attack on this on the Black Sea Fleet, and it caught the Russians by surprise. They managed to fend it off pretty well, it seems, and none of this really made any major 
news sources in the U.S. But what did happen is that Russia was so, honestly, just frustrated and mad about this attack that they initially canceled the grain deal that we've talked about in previous episodes. And so the international community at first was very upset about this because obviously this affects food prices across the world. It really affects a lot of the poorer countries. But then there was international pressure. Turkey got involved again. And Russia has once again began allowing these grain shipments. So the only reason I share all of this is it is unique, this surface attack that happened with these unmanned surface vessels. You may want to watch it. It's kind of cool. Um, but also, you might have heard a little bit about the grain issue, but I share all this because apparently this was one of the first uh, unmanned surface vessel attacks probably in world history. So, you know, we've had the U.S. had a ship that was hit by, we've had some suicide bombers, you know, come alongside U.S. ships and blow them up. But this is another bit of evidence that this war in Ukraine is showing increasing advancements in how countries fight. And um, so, anyway, I wanted to share all that. Again, source notes are just loaded with cool stuff you can check out if you want to. Wanted to share one other thing. I saw a uh, tweet that was amazing because it's hard to write a, a brief tweet that says a lot. And But I wanted to share this. This is so well said. So here is how Russian diplomacy works according to this tweet. Russia creates the problem, step one. Step two, Russia says, we can help fix the problem, but give us something in exchange. Step three, an agreement is concluded. Russia takes something. Step four. Russia violates the agreement. Step five. Russia says we will comply with the agreement if you give us more. Step six. New cycle. And then, of course, it repeats. Russia creates a problem. Russia says it can fix it if you give them something. They, You have an agreement. Russia gets something out of the agreement. Russia then violates the agreement. Then Russia again says we'll comply if you give us more. And they do the whole thing over and over. And so it was very impressive to write a 50 or 60 word tweet that perfectly summarizes Russia's history for the past probably 15 years or so. They have done this in so many countries, in so many different situations, and that's why this Ukraine situation is the final breaking point. I think the West and NATO and all the European countries are just done with Russia doing this almost diplomacy at gunpoint by going around threatening everyone, taking this, and hoping that everyone sees you as this crazy individual that no one wants to deal with. And after 10 to 15 years of them invading and attacking places and demanding things, the world has finally said, we're done, and we're not going to let this happen anymore. So, But I love that tweet. It was definitely worth sharing few other quick little things on the Ukraine situation. There was an, an initial uh, or an additional $275 million uh, aid package that was sent to Ukraine from the U.S. It included more of the multiple launch rocket system ammunition, the HIMARS. It included 155 millimeter shells, which are so important to all those artillery battles happening. Uh, it included 125 Humvees. 
2.7 million rounds of ammo, lots of stuff, um, comparatively speaking. But it also included, the only reason I mainly bring this up is, it included four satellite antennas, which are going to help Ukraine, will allow Ukraine to bolster its communication abilities of the Ukrainian army. Because, you know, the Russians have been hitting the electrical grid, and Elon Musk has talked about that it costs too much to provide internet through their low-flying Starlink satellites. There's a couple thousand of those flying around. Um, so, you know, it briefly those went down at one point, and the Ukrainian army just absolutely panicked for a bit because they weren't prepared for that to happen with no warning. Um, not real sure if that was technical difficulties. Not real sure if that was... Um, I'm not sure the right way to say it, but... Um, could have been technical difficulties. Could have been just a reminder of how valuable that service was. That was at the time when Elon Musk was talking about a peace proposal with Russia. He had also been talking about additional payments to somehow pay for the Starlink system, which some European countries in America has been talking about paying for. So at any rate, there was a bit of a um, interruption in service, and that freaked a lot of people out. And so to help keep that from happening again, uh, the U.S. has sent four satellite antennas. They make clear in the stories and in Pentagon briefings that the SATCOMs are not intended to serve as a substitute for Starlink and that they're just going to assist it and help in case of any you know, interruptions, although they don't really come out and say interruptions, but it's kind of hinted to. That's the backstory. So got all that in the source notes as well. Now, one thing that... I wanted to cover just real briefly as well is uh, General Mark Hurtling had talked about with the coming winter, how tough those are and how that's going to affect both armies. But, you know, a lot of people have said Ukraine's got to, you know, and I'm basically quoting what he said, that Ukraine has to gain ground now before the winter sets in. His response is, why do you think that? And he goes into a bit about how you can fight in the cold. America trains to do it. Other militaries have. Obviously, Ukraine has, and that what will separate Ukraine from Russia is its NCOs. You know, when it's super cold, there's so many things that you have to make sure your your equipment doesn't get rusty, that when things are freezing, that you, there's so much uh, maintenance things you have to do. And so he goes into some detail with a great thread on Twitter that I've got a link to about why NCOs matter and how they're going to help the Ukrainian army as the winter hits perform better and better deal with those harsh elements. All right, moving along, I want to talk about two quick, small political things. Uh, first involves the NATO Secretary General. Uh, he made some remarks about, you know, there's been some discussion that if Republicans take the House in Congress, obviously, uh, here with the election coming up, that some support for Ukraine might be reduced. There are clearly some uh, members on the far right of the Republican Party who are opposed to very much support for Ukraine. They've all said this, or at least those who are on the far right. Uh, but at the same time, there's a fair amount of bipartisan support, even in the Republican Party as well, for support. And since initially allowing some of the commentary, uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy has kind of walked back on that and said that if Republicans took over, that they wouldn't necessarily reduce the funding to help defend Ukraine, but they would just do uh, more oversight. 
that was good to hear if they were to take the House, since there's obviously a pretty good chance that they will. But the NATO Secretary General made a great point and kind of had a message for uh, U.S. House Republicans that um, if they were to slash spending and Russia were to end up succeeding, such a thing would only empower China to continue its aggressive moves in the Pacific. And so NATO and, of course, many leaders in the West have been saying that China is watching what is happening. And so if Russia succeeds in, in taking over this very mineral-rich, agriculturally rich area and is rewarded for their aggressive actions, then clearly, on a, just a, if you get a sheet of paper and write the pros and cons of invading somewhere, then every country with a decent-sized military and a good chance of winning would invade such a place. And so the Secretary General just says, hey, it'd probably be a good idea not to reduce funding so that Russia doesn't win and so that China sees that the world is united in maintaining you know, international boundaries and preventing large-scale aggression and warfare. And such things are not smiled upon and... Not only would countries be punished economically for making such moves, they might be militarily damaged. Thought that was good. I've got that in the source notes if you want to read it. One other thing on the political angle that I share in the source notes is a video of just an interview on the news. And, you know, a lot of people, Elon Musk threw it out. Some on the far left have thrown it out. Some on the far right have thrown it out. You know, why doesn't the United States just go in there, let's negotiate with Russia, let's just end this war. The problem with that, and this interviewer says it well, and they say, you know, hypothetically, if China could invade the U.S., and they hypothetically had leveled L.A., had leveled Seattle, Portland, massacred thousands, put people on trains and, you know, moved them out, would the U.S. want peace at that point, or would we want to get the Chinese out of our country? And so that's a, I thought that was really good uh, analogy of what the Ukrainian people are feeling and how they think about this situation. And I was trying to think of the perfect analogy of, I always kind of mention a playground mentality because even though it's really simple, it also seems to really apply to a lot of uh, international situations but it's almost as if the bully, you know, has bullied you for months and months and they took a lot from you. And whatever that a lot is, whether it's you're a kid and it's some money or they've taken your lunchbox or whatever, or whether it's a neighbor and they've taken a ton of money. But Russia took a lot from Ukraine in 2014, almost 10 years ago. The Crimean Peninsula, they invaded from the side. And there has been some small-scale warfare since then, but since then. But clearly, Ukraine was not able to defend itself very well for the past eight-plus years. They've struggled, but they've been building. And so this bully who has continued to be aggressive, to intimidate, to push you around, has yet again attacked you on the playground in front of all your friends, and, and absolutely pummeled you at first. You got to remember at the beginning of this war, everyone thought Russia would win and that they would overwhelm them. They drove all the way down to the capital. Massive army invaded. Massive. So, you know, it's like being on the playground 
you've been pushed around, you get sucker punched, you get knocked down, you get the crap beat out of you, but then you finally start to get on your feet, and you finally start to throw some punches back, you finally get them against the wall, and you're finally winning, and you're throwing punches, and then at that point, the bully says, no, 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 let's just stop, let me have that stuff I took, let's just stop, I won't bother you again. Well, no, you're not going to stop at that point. That's not how it works. You're dealing with someone who has lied to you over and over and who has bullied you and hurt you, and you're sitting there bleeding. That That's not how it works. So it's the U.S. isn't going to negotiate some kind of peace deal. I don't even think Ukraine would allow it. I think even if the United States said we're going to cut off all aid, I'm still not sure at that point that Ukraine would allow it. They have lost too many people. They have lived in fear for almost 10 years, and too many atrocities have happened. And I think they would find other allies in Europe and across the world, and even if they didn't, I'm still not sure if they could find no financial aid. I'm still not sure they would end this war. They are not going to stop until Ukraine is off every, or I'm sorry, until Russia is off every inch of ground. And I'm not sure I blame them. And, you know, if I had lost my wife or my son or my dad or any of my family, yeah, I'm, I'm not stopping. I, I would fight until the absolute end. And that's how every single one of those people in Ukraine feel. So it's just not right for us to go in there and tell them what they should or shouldn't do. They have dealt with this for too long, and they're going to end it if it's possible. And, you know, I certainly hope they, they can pull it off. It's still a long shot. They've got a lot of ground to have to take back. Russia is still a much larger army, but they've been underestimated from the beginning. And even though there are still many analysts who say it's really going to be difficult for Ukraine to eventually take back the Crimean Peninsula, which will be difficult, but still, every day they're taking ground. And I, I, I would put myself in the side of the minority who thinks they actually will. I think they will take back every single inch of Ukraine. And that is a, you know, I try to say balanced things and be... Um, I guess understated on thing understated on my various opinions if I do throw opinions in. So on paper, it's unlikely that will be the case. Um, there's a chance there'd be a pause after winter or something. But I don't I'm kind of you know, I'm not a gambler, but I, I'm on the side of I th I think they're actually gonna take back every single inch. I think the Russian army could collapse at some point, but I think even if it doesn't, even if Russia calls up more reserves even if they somehow expand production, even if North Korea keeps sending shells, even if Iran keeps sending drones, even if China starts to support Russia, I just do not believe Ukraine is going to stop. And I don't believe the West, especially if others were to start trying to arm Russia. This is just such a, it's such a clear situation, this war. It's it's literally good versus evil. It's not some silly little border dispute. It's not, I mean, this is just pure aggression, uh, territorial ambition by an absolutely cruel and evil dictator who's trying to get his army to drive through and take what he wants just because he can. And the rest of the world has watched this bully operate, and they're, they're not just going to let it happen anymore. So I know my analogy wasn't perfect. But hopefully, if you were one of those who were like, yeah, I mean, why don't, why don't we support peace? Why, why would we not want to have peace like right now? We could end the war tomorrow. 
Well, it's a little more complicated than that. And even if, you know, such a thing happened, no Ukrainian is ever going to feel safe. No, you, there's the Russians just cannot be trusted. This is, as I've said many times, the third time, uh, the third time in 10 years that Russia has invaded Ukraine. So they have to be driven out. The Ukrainian forces have to continue to improve and be such a lethal force that Russia would never think of crossing the line again. And if it does, it needs to be bloodied. Their army needs to absolutely be hammered. So really, you know, it's it's the old saying. It's a simple saying, but if you want peace, prepare for war. So Ukraine has to drive them out, and they have to, from that point on, continue to prepare for war unless we're fortunate enough that some type of political unrest in Russia were to remove Vladimir Putin. There was another oligarch that recently denounced his citizenship. So, you know, at any time that could happen. I uh, shared something on Twitter the other day. They literally, they literally drafted a neurologist, gave him two hours warning, and sent this guy who looks like he's 40 or 50. I don't know how old he is. Not exactly in the best of shape, but he's a freaking neurologist. The only one that that little small town slash city had. And they're going to take that guy and put him on the front line. Like, how does that make any sense? And if you live in that town and your son has some type of, you know, issues with brain issues and suddenly the doctor can't operate on him, I don't think you're too happy about that. So the consequences politically for Vladimir Putin are probably continuing to uh, escalate. And I will share one other thing on that. There are videos circulating where many of those drafted are not getting paid much less supplied, but I actually shared just a day or so ago a video on Twitter that um, there are Russian soldiers who basically stood up and refused to go until more military units were brought in because they weren't getting paid. So it's one thing, just think about this, it's one thing to defend your country for no pay, your family, your friends, you know, some evil army's coming and you got to defend them. Yeah, I'd do that for no pay, but it's an entirely different thing to sign up or be forced, even worse, to have to go fight somewhere. So you got to quit your job, leave your family, your kids, go fight somewhere where you might die. And oh, by the way, while you're there, you're probably not going to get paid. That's a whole nother level. So how long will the Russian people continue to deal with this? I don't know. As we've said previously, many of the Russian men have already fled the place. They didn't want to be drafted. So I don't know how stable Russia is or isn't, but I'm taking a long shot bet, and I think Ukraine will drive Russia out of every inch of territory. All right. I went on a little bit of a rant there. I would apologize, but I don't know that I apologize for any of that, honestly. So let's talk about some cool tech stuff that I saw and I teased earlier. In China, there's a video. I've got a link to the story. Task and Purpose is who released this. They have video of, this is kind of terrifying, this is like Terminator type stuff, the stuff that if you were, you know, if you're my age and watching movies from the 90s, you would almost see some of this stuff and you, it would be scary. So anyway, there you got a video of a drone, which has a three, six, nine, about nine or ten blades, whatever it is, pretty big drone, flies forward with something under it, you can't tell whether it's some type of package or what releases it on a roof. Well, what is on this thing? Oh, the legs extend, and you realize, and this antenna and everything extends, it's a freaking movable running dog with cameras all over it and antennas, and it's got a weapon on top. And so everyone's kind of 
lots of people on social media were just talking about how this is like terrifying, but it's it's kind of crazy to think about that as warfare continues to progress, that you now have, I mean, there's no other way to say it, lethal robots that move forward. Most of the time they're controlled by humans, but increasingly uh, artificial intelligence can help them make decisions. But, you know, as a, just an old infantryman, I've, I've imagined being in a, a fighting position, you know, half asleep, covered in mud, hungry, cold, whatever. That's how the life in the infantry is. And then, oh, by the way, a few hundred meters away from the area you're supposed to be watching, you see an approaching, basically armored freaking drone with a machine gun on top, which can probably outshoot you as far as accuracy. Um, it doesn't get cold. It doesn't do any of those things. And oh, by the way, it's kind of small and hard to hit. And if you fire, it's going to see your position. The thing, This thing doesn't look big enough, but it could have thermal optics. So it literally could have a better weapon system than you. And it's not scared. You know, whoever the robot controlling a human operator is has no fear if you fired it. But if it's firing at you, you're cold, you're scared, and you're worried about being hit. And so as warfare continues to progress, the concept of how basically technologically technologically advanced nations are able to deploy very smart drones and walking robots and vehicle type robots they're going to have an edge because they don't have the human fear element and because as i said many of these platforms literally provide more accurate firepower there's no other way really to say it but uh, anyway, if you want to see the story, I didn't want to give too much away. Task and Purpose did a great job of covering it. I was mostly speaking from 10,000 feet about these uh, items, but I've uh, always been interested in tech as it continues to advance and how it affects warfare. And just one final side note, and then we'll get to the uh, best part of the episode, which is, of course, the motivation and wisdom. But, uh, you know, I, I was a proud infantryman, and it's hard to be an infantryman. You have to carry a lot of gear. You got to do forced marches, 18 miles, 25 miles after days of not eating a lot, just MREs, very little sleep. And, um, but you take a certain pride from being able to pull that off. And I still remember, it's been years now, but don't remember exactly when it was, but once reading that the armed combatant of the future wouldn't need to do any of those things, that it wouldn't even, you know, we take pride in marksmanship, especially in the Marine Corps but that the armed combatant of the future might literally stop somewhere, pull something out of their backpack, assemble a small, basically flying drone, very small with wings, that has about a grenade-sized munition on it, throw it by hand, as if they were like throwing a paper plane, throw this thing by hand, it would fly two to three miles, it would find, through thermal imaging, a target, which is your other enemy infantrymen, and it would fly down and hit them and blow up. And I remember thinking, man, that is just crazy. Like, that's so unfair. If you're sitting on the other side and you've got a rifle that can fire 500 meters, there's not much you can do to defend against something like that. And that's when I realized that, you know, I don't want to say infantry will ever be obsolete, but it certainly starts to have less impact when those type of things exist. And since I've read that article and seen it, Things have only further progressed throughout. And we've seen in Ukraine how 
absolutely deadly these drones are. Just regular civilian flying drones that weren't even made by the military that simply drop grenades onto tanks or mortar rounds onto the top of tanks. And these very cheap drones are blowing up 10, 20 million dollar tanks like it's nothing. And they're flown by people who often don't even face any kind of danger. They're miles away. They're in air conditioned or heated areas and they're just flying a drone and dropping ammunition. It's not it's not someone dealing with the cold who didn't sleep the night before, had to carry a lot of gear, had to train forever to shoot a rifle well. It's someone basically playing a video game. So anyway, I probably took that a little long, but a lot to think about. Appreciate your patience for listening to that, and we will now get to the best part of the episode. Okay, guys, so we'll move to the motivation and inspiration part now. I wanted to say just real quick, just a short little intro, which I'll probably repeat every week because sometimes it helps to get things to sink in by hearing them repeated. And I know some people think that motivational quotes are crap, they don't work, and I frankly completely disagree. And one of the things I've always wanted to be was an encourager. And so I want to encourage you as much as I can, obviously. But for those who say that motivational quotes don't work, you know, I went to a rough school, and going to that school, not everyone graduated, not everyone made it out, and certainly not all of them, everyone made it through college or, or to where they probably wanted to get in life, because it's hard to be around people that don't believe, that suck the energy out of you, or that are just beaten down by life or poverty or just difficult circumstances, um, whether it's a single parent, etc. But for me, at least, having books that I read, having dreams having idols that I looked up to, whether it's sports figures or people in history, all of those things helped me. And I know that you guys know this, that if you go to a sales conference or something for like a couple of days, or just some type of leadership event, or just some type of really on fire type event, and you're around positive people, you are just like, show me the wall, I'll run through it. You're just fired up. But then if you go home and there's some family members or friends who don't believe in you, and they're like, oh, that won't work, or you can't do that. It just immediately sucks the life out of you. So I know that, you know, people say motivation doesn't last, but I think that motivation is something that absolutely can help you get to where you want to go. And, you know, I believe all of us can reach our dreams. And I definitely want to do my part to help you get there. So that's why I put these in every week. It's my hope that they really help you. You know, people say motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing, and that's why we recommend it daily. And that's what the great Zig Ziglar said, so that's why I try to put these in every week. So I really hope you get something uh, from them. And with that, let's just get started. As I say every week, I'm just going to read these. These are some great folks that you can follow if you are the type of person who enjoys Twitter and wants to get on there. I've got them all linked, and there's some great folks to follow so that you get some motivation throughout the week instead of just once a week. All right, first one. When you love what you have, you have everything you need. Yeah, I like that one. When you have love what you have, you have everything you need. Next one. Never give up on something you really want. Never give up on something you really want. Next one. The biggest mistake of youth is thinking they can't learn anything from adults. The biggest mistake of adults is thinking they can't learn anything from youth. Oh, that one's a little deep. 
I'm going to read it again. I love those where it's like they reverse what they're saying. The biggest mistake of youth is thinking they can't learn anything from adults. The biggest mistake of adults is thinking they can't learn anything from youth. That's pretty daggone good. All right, next one. When you love someone, you love the person as they are and not as you'd like them to be. That one is definitely one that needs to be reread, is it not? We'll read it one more time. When you love someone, you love the person as they are and not as you'd like them to be. Oof. That one's a good one. Tough. Kind of hits all of us a little bit. All right. This was actually a quote from Steve Jobs. As a reminder, he was the founder of Apple and so many unbelievable great tech things that we take for granted today. Steve Jobs had this quote. Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You are already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. Man, that's pretty good, isn't it? Remembering that you're going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You are already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. That is a good one. You know, there's always that joke about on your deathbed, no one wishes they had worked more. But I don't ever hear anyone say that probably on some of those deathbeds, there are probably some people who say, I wish I had done this or gone after that. That's what I think anyway. All right, next one. Visualize what you want to do before you do it. Visualization is so powerful that when you know what you want, you will get it. It's good. All right, next one. Be addicted to bettering yourself. I love that one. Be addicted to bettering yourself. All right, next one. The distance between reality and dreams is action. That one is a must-read again. The distance between reality and dreams is action. Probably a good time to ask yourself what you have done lately to pursue your dreams. Hmm, let that one think. Just let that one sink in a bit. Have you done anything lately? And if you have, hey, pat yourself on the back. Even if it's a small step, that's awesome. All right, next. Life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. Ooh, we've all heard that one, but man, so true. Life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. That is all of us. If you go to do something and it's raining, probably the world is not telling you not to do something. It's probably just raining that day. But a lot of us think that if we don't get a little bit of luck, then, oh, we're not meant to do something. That's not true. All right. This is a quote from William Shakespeare. I think you guys have heard that name before. To weep is to make less the depth of grief. Definitely need to read that one again. To weep is to make less the depth of grief. But there's a lot of military, particularly guys, but I feel like guys are worse about, we don't share anything. We just like swallow it down, keep it inside. It's like we're a crock pot about to explode all the time. As I've gotten older, I've gotten a little bit better. But man, we all hold it in, don't we? So to weep is to make less the depth of grief. So I think he's saying, it's okay to cry sometimes, guys. It's freaking hard out there. All right, next one. What you think you become, what you feel you attract, 
what you imagine you create. Another good one. What you think you become, what you feel you attract, what you imagine you create. I need to feel like I'm going to be super successful and get a bunch of new subscribers between now and next Thursday. Let's see if it happens. I will say we had quite a few from the last one, so thanks. If you're one of those new folks, hey, welcome. I sometimes say this, but I'm totally a normal person. You can email me. You can reach out to me. I actually email back. It's kind of crazy. All right, next one. Those who do not find time for exercise will have to find time for illness. Ugh. It's all of us, doesn't it? Especially as you get older. You're always too busy. We're always trying to cram things in. And we don't do the things like eating right or exercising. So those who do not find time for exercise will have to find time for illness. This is actually from an awesome military veteran who's still currently serving. It's Command Sergeant Major Curry, who I've emailed back and forth with a little bit. We follow each other on Twitter. I don't know that we're best friends, but, you know, if Facebook friends matters for something, then, you know, following someone on Twitter and having talked to him a few times probably matters a little bit. I say all that jokingly, but in all reality, uh, I'm a big believer in networking up, and little old Stan was nothing but just a little sergeant, just an E5. And I'm emailing a, a guy who's a command sergeant major, and he's cool as anything, and answers. And you know what? There are lots of people like that out there who will gladly reply to emails, send you encouragement. He's also an amazing person to follow on Twitter. I hope he hears this. Uh, but anyway, his quote was, you don't have to be extreme, just consistent. I really loved that one. You don't have to be extreme, just consistent. If you're like me, I put a lot of pressure on myself and I set these absurd goals, sometimes even daily goals, and then I don't make them and then I beat myself up and I can do that a lot and that's really stupid. But I like his reminder, you don't have to be extreme, just consistent. All right, next one. And I have to describe the picture that's in the source notes. It's a really long road weaving through the mountains. But the quote is, remember that one setback does not erase the progress you've made. My goodness, that's a good one. Remember that one setback does not erase the progress you've made. And I think all of us, man, we all have our eyes on like the peaks or the mountains or some go way out there. And we do not give ourselves enough credit for how far we've come. And then when we do get that setback, we don't like say, hey, good job, Stan. You've done X, Y, and Z. Instead, it's like, well, I messed this up or I stubbed my toe or whatever that stupid thing I did. We just don't give ourselves enough credit. All right, next one. No matter what happens in life, keep a good heart, a heart of trust and patience. Don't let the darkness of some people harden your heart. Man, that's good. Especially, man, if you're one of those people that really get sucked into politics, and I'm not going to lie, I, I do get sucked into politics, but I try not to let it change me. I'm going to read it again. No matter what happens in life, keep a good heart, a heart of trust and patience. Don't let the darkness of some people harden your heart. There you go. You have permission to watch politics. You don't have permission to let it super upset you and dominate your life. And you don't have the permission to, at every dinner, drive your wife crazy as you talk about politics or tell them to watch every video you see. You don't have to do all that. You can make it your passion. You don't have to, like, drag everyone else into it. Not everybody wants to. All right, next one. It's not you versus the world. It's not you versus everybody. It's not you versus your haters. It's you versus you. 
And that is a great one. Again, it's not you versus the world. It's not you versus everybody. It's not you versus your haters. It's you versus you. I will say, I saw a video interview that uh, a guy had interviewed Michael Jordan, and he said basically that. They were asking him about his success and this and that. And uh, According to the interviewer, he said that uh, Michael Jordan said, I don't compete against anyone but myself, and that every day he tried to make his practices harder, and that he, you know, as everyone knows, he got cut from the high school team, so it wasn't like he was a natural basketball phenom back in the day. He had to work at it. So compare yourself to yourself. All right. Let's do the one more before we end with a couple. But this one is a tad longer, but it is really freaking good. I saw it on an Instagram video by, uh, be too long to try to explain it, but he was an entrepreneur that um, the Will Smith movie was based on. And um, he was the guy that was homeless temporarily and um, ended up becoming a multimillionaire. But here was the summary of his video. You want to hear it? These are the five C's, according to him, on how you make it. You've got to have a plan. Everyone has a dream, a goal. But what's your plan? You've got to have a plan. And your plan has to have the C5 complex, is what he called it. The C5 complex. The five C's are clear, concise, compelling, consistent, committed. Again, the five C's of the plan are clear plan, a concise plan. It's got to be a compelling plan. You've got to consistently, obviously, attack the plan, and you got to be committed to it. And then he says, and when you're doing something you're truly passionate about, there is no plan B. Plan B sucks. <laughs> I love that. Plan B sucks. So, if you've got that dream or that goal or that vision, get after it. You already have the day job or whatever life circumstances that probably aren't as good as you wish. So why not dream? Why not chase it? Just don't risk everything. I, uh, In fact, I mentioned in the book number 44, which is the inspirational book about uh, President Obama and how he made it, which includes no politics. I always make sure I say that. But just how this guy who got clobbered in an election, who had no background of family or wealth, how did he manage to make it? He also, by the way, started out as not a very good speaker, but Anyway, I'm giving too much of the book away. But I will say in it, I share the lesson that I learned myself when I launched my little weekly newspaper, which nearly bankrupted me and put my family and a lot of people through a lot of stress, um, which is that you can start small. Like people always use that quote, you know, leap in the net will appear and, you know, stuff like that. or Burn the ships on the on the you know beach so you have no backup plan. I think that's crazy. And when I was 20-something, I thought that was a great idea, be committed and all that stuff. But the reality is, is you can start slow on the side and avoid a lot of the pain. And you can have backup plans. And I go all into that in the book. But I'm not a big fan of, uh, at least anymore, now that I'm a little older and wiser, of jumping all in. Because that is a great way to uh, put your family through a lot, to end up divorced, etc. Um, be careful. Go after the dreams. But don't be silly about it and grow slow. Don't borrow a lot of money. Just do it slow. That's that's the real key to wealth is starting out slow and working towards something. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a great one to end with.
And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. For those who want to know a little bit more about me, here's the short version. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I left home to join the Marine Corps at the age of 17. I was also crazy enough to demand that the Marine Corps put me down for guaranteed infantry. I served four years in the infantry, saw enough danger to decide I no longer had anything else to prove, and I exited military service in 1999. I earned a degree from the University of Tennessee in journalism and spent 10 plus years in the news business. I worked initially as a reporter, but then went on to start a weekly newspaper. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013, but once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 11 books, and while I still have my sights set on the tallest peaks in the writing world, I'm now here as well, a once-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. Well, I've talked enough about me. I really hope you'll consider at least signing up to be a free subscriber. And if you can, consider at some point becoming a paid subscriber. Again, you can do both of these things at my substack, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work together to unite this country. And also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. And if you've got a dream kicking around in the back of your mind, go after it. If you have that friend or family member that you know you should reach out to, who you haven't talked to in a few months, reach out to them. And finally, if you're one of those awesome military folks listening out there, if you need help, please reach out to someone. Call a friend or a family member. Do it for us all. We've lost too many of the greatest folks that this country has produced to suicide. So I'm asking you to be brave once more and show some vulnerability. Take a deep breath. Breathe. Call a friend or family member one of your fellow veterans, someone who can help. There's obviously hotline numbers as well that you can call. With that, I appreciate each and every one of you, every tweet, every share, every email that I get. I can't tell you how much those mean to me. Also, if you haven't already put a rating on some of the um, social media places that you listen to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts or some of the others, if you could drop a rating, that'd be great. We're trying to get those up because I've heard if you get them up to 30 or 40, then the algorithms take over. So, That'd be a great way to help out. And then finally, let me mention my books because, honestly, the airspace is free. And also, if you're the kind of person who listens to this podcast, they are probably books that would interest you. So I will briefly describe them real quickly. The first series is about a CIA series involving a Marine Scout sniper named Nick Woods. There's four books in that series. I got a fifth one releasing soon. I'm almost done with that, actually. Uh, It's my best-selling series, and not only is it fast-paced and crammed with action, but folks say that the uh, main character, Nick Woods, is one of the most real characters they've ever read. He's not some Jason Bourne-like Superman. He's just a hard, tough man who was raised in the old ways. The first book in that series is called Sold Out, and that's obviously because the main character, Nick Woods, gets sold out. I've also got a detective series about a prior Force Recon Marine who becomes a detective... He moves from a big city, which was Memphis, to a small town, and he learns there's a lot more going on there than you'd think. It's got some organized crime in it, loads of action. 
couple of cops die before the end of book one. And if you love that as much as I think you will, there's also a book two. Book one is called Takedown. Book two is called Gravel Road. And it may have one of the longest, most grueling hand-to-hand fight scenes you've ever read. I get so much feedback from readers who just say that they are on pins and needles at the end of book two on what is happening and what um, the prior Force Recon Marine goes through. His name is Danny Acuff, by the way. And then I've also got book one of a private investigator series done. It's about an army ranger who's a girl's only hope after she gets abducted and the cops have stopped looking. Uh, There's plenty of action in it as well. And it doesn't hurt that the aunt of the girl um, is hot and she takes part in the chase. So uh, that book is called Hell in the Mountains. And then I've got a couple of realistic war novels. One's about World War II. It's called Soldier On. And I talk about or I write about the end of World War II an imaginary situation where the last elements of part of the German army is just trying to survive. They know the war is lost, but they're trapped from, on one side, you know, the advancing American troops, and on the other, uh, Nazi SS units. So it, really, the book is, it's it's pretty deep, and so it, the, it digs into the realities of military leadership, and as these warriors are pushed and pulled through just unbelievable physical torment and mental anguish and will they survive with their honor and dignity and I think you know and I've been told this that soldier on just truly defines what it means to be a soldier to never give up and then I've also got a realistic war novel about Afghanistan it's called Hill 406 it's about a couple of marines who couldn't be more different and they get thrown into an unbelievable combat situation, and it's a situation in which they decide to disobey orders and risk everything in order to save some Marines. Had lots of great feedback about how gritty and realistic that one is from veterans who've served there, which is about the highest honor I could possibly get. Um, and then finally, I've got one other book I wanted to mention just real quickly. And then the final book I mentioned is actually it's a part biography, part self-help all-inspiration type book uh, about Barack Obama, but includes absolutely no politics, no left-right issues. It's literally just a non-political look at Obama's rise. And I try to answer questions that many wonder about American presidents. What sets them apart? What qualities allowed them to reach their goals where others failed? How can you cultivate those qualities in yourself? And Besides that, I also share some things about him that you may not know, such as, throw out a couple. Did you know that before he ran for the U.S. Senate, he was crushed by a four-term incumbent who beat him by a two-to-one margin? Most people aren't aware of that. He also coached his uh, Sasha's fourth-grade recreational basketball team called the Vipers while president. That was not super well-known. And then also, the craziest thing, as he's known for being a speaker... Did you know that when he started, he actually wasn't even a good speaker? He admits that himself. So I'll talk about several things I've found out about him as I researched him some. And I think it's a great book that'll help inform you and motivate you. Kind of go into how he found his call and how he mastered speaking. How he overcome just so many obstacles, including that huge like two-to-one election defeat that I mentioned above. And it's the first in what I think will be a number of presidential books, assuming they sell well enough. And so... It's the first one will be on him, and the next one will be on a Republican. I've kind of started that one, but I put it on hold until I try to see what the interest level is on some type of um, series of books such as this. Some folks don't like the political angles, but again, if you can get past the cover and the name, it's not a political angle. It's 
inspiration. It's self-help type stuff. And so, you know, I think you can learn a lot from presidents. And I could go for on for probably hours, honestly, about how it's crazy some of the people who end up becoming president and the things they do to get there. But again, I won't get into it too much. But that book is called Number 44, The Traits and Characteristics That Carried Barack Obama to the Top. The How he managed to, with his name, with the background, the mixed background, the lack of money, and the ability to beat out the Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton machine and make it to where he was is still just astonishing. I know he isn't liked by everybody, but it's an incredible book, in my humble opinion. So that's called Number 44. You can check that out as well. So I figure by this point, not a lot of people listen anyway, but for those who are, I will catch you guys next Thursday. Thanks so much, and with that, I am out.